It's Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Josh Rollerson, and this is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. New funding announced last month will help close one of Pennsylvania's top 10 trail gaps, as ranked by the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. The Spring Garden Street Greenway in Philadelphia will link the Schuylkill River Trail with the Delaware River Trail across a densely populated stretch of Center City, connecting trail users and nearby residents to both rivers as well as to the Circuit Trail's network beyond. John Chin of the Philadelphia Chinatown Development Corporation says it'll mean unprecedented access to the city for neighborhoods historically constrained by heavy traffic and often unsafe conditions for walking and biking. Neighborhoods like Chinatown and West Poplar where we have communities of color and many residents who are low income and just don't have the same access and resources that people with money do. So this project actually is, is an equalizer, uh, creates equity and allows um, Uh, folks in the neighborhoods to access the same park and green and water resources that other people have always have had access to. But the Spring Garden Street Greenway, when finished, will also connect Philadelphians to a much larger trail corridor beyond the circuit, extending down the Atlantic coast from Maine to Key West, the East Coast Greenway. With enough motivation and a bicycle, you can probably cover the entire East Coast Greenway in a few weeks' time. That sounds like perhaps uh, adventure enough for many of us, but if you want a real challenge, you could always tackle the ECG on foot. That's what ultramarathoner Shan Riggs did earlier this year, along with his bicycle-based support crew and now fiancé Josh Grant. Shan is the first person to run the full East Coast Greenway. His goal was to raise awareness of the Greenway and also to raise money for the East Coast Greenway Alliance, which he did to the tune of about $20,000. Shan and Josh passed through Philadelphia in June. They are now back home in Connecticut, resting and recovering. That's where I reached Shan by Zoom. Here's our conversation. Shan, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Glad you're here. Nice to be here. Start me off with some background on you and your your history with running. When did you start distance running? You know, seriously, how did you get into get into that sport? Yeah, um, I ran in high school, track, cross country, those kind of things. Um, I did one uh, marathon after after college, went and uh, kind of checked that box and thought I would never run another one again. It was very painful. Uh, I, I got my goal of getting under four hours. And, and, uh, after that, I really planned to run for, for fitness. Um, and then I, I read Dean Karnazes book. I think it was like uh, 2004, something like that uh, called ultra marathon, man, uh, where he does all these crazy things like run in death Valley and 350 miles at a time and things like that. And, uh, and I, I think most people read that book and thought, wow, that's just crazy. And, and I read it and thought, you know, I bet I could do that. Um, so ever since then, I kind of caught the ultra bug, um, started doing a lot of uh, 100-mile races, 24-hour races, and, and, and things like that all over the, all over the place. Um, and then, uh, I can't remember the, the year, but uh, uh, starting maybe 2007 or eight, no, 2006 maybe, um, started to do really long distance things as a w- way to raise awareness and money for, for charity. My first one was running 200 miles from Chicago to Indianapolis, all, all basically in one go um, for a charity called Metals for Metal. Um, and then I did things like running the length of Illinois and did this thing in Panama and just started doing um, 
just really long, like multi-day uh, sort of things. Um, and, and then uh, eventually leading up to in 2020, uh, I, I didn't have much work going on because most of my work involves events. So I had the time. And so I went and did um, what at the time I thought was going to be the big one, which is running uh, from San Francisco to Connecticut as a fundraiser for Food Share, which is part of Feeding America. And, and that went really well. We raised a bunch of money and got a lot of publicity and and uh, and did, did that. And then uh, and then uh, here this recent one, which I'm sure we'll talk more about where we went from went from Key West all the way to Canada. So was this the longest one then or was the transcontinental one? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So it's interesting that it, it, uh, the East Coast Greenway is a 3000 mile trail um, from uh, Key West all the way to Canada. And that's the same distance as going from San Francisco to New York City. Uh, so my, my, my west to east transcom is actually uh, 3,250 miles. Um, and the uh, the Key West to Canada was 2,960 miles. So um, very similar distances. It doesn't look like that on a map uh, when you see it. Um, but uh, Key West goes pretty far south and, and, and uh, Maine goes pretty far north. Uh, and then the other thing is um, the trail itself uh, uh, is uh, connecting a lot of, of already existing trails. So there were certainly times where I wasn't going directly north. <laughs> so in fact, there are occasions where we were going south and I was was like, we're trying to get to Canada and I'm going south. So so there's plenty of zigzagging involved in the, in the East Coast Greenway too. So, so you had obviously some miles under your belt before you decided to take this on. Did you have any specific experience with the East Coast Greenway uh, before you took on this challenge? And what was, you know, how did the idea come about, I guess? Yeah, so it was actually Josh's idea. We were just talking about what, what could be the, kind of our, our next big thing. We'd actually just did... Uh, one of the things that we'd done kind of testing this out was ran the entire uh, Erie Canal and she biked the whole thing. So we did 400 miles in, in nine days. And, and so this was one where she had, had thought, um, you know, has anybody run the entire East Coast Greenway and started doing a little research? It turns out um, several people had biked it, but nobody had run it. Um, we were familiar with the Greenway. I um, used to work with the Hartford Marathon Foundation here in Connecticut. Um, and we had done an event that was uh, mostly on on the East Coast Greenway, and so I'd, I'd met their leadership, and we'd helped them a little bit with fundraising there, um, and just and knew the need um, and how much more work they had had to do, and thought this could be something that's unique, and it's a cause that obviously it fits right in with with I, I think that uh, uh, an important. Uh, period of time that we're in where we need to encourage people to continue to get out and move and help support these um, uh, infrastructure projects of putting together, you know, these, these special spaces. So it all just ended up making a lot of sense. Uh, and so um, starting in April, we, we rented a one-way car and drove all the way down there with me, Josh and her bike. <laughs> Tell me about the actual run then. What was what was sort of the daily routine? You get up in the morning. How many miles would you get in? You know, when do you stop to eat? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So, so it's uh, uh, in my previous transcon, I, I averaged around forty miles per day, and that seemed uh, doable. Um, and so we're, we're we're targeting something like that. The big challenge with this run, where it was me running and Josh on her bike towing all of our stuff 
is um, every day we needed to find a place to stay. So there's not a lot of campsites on the East Coast Greenway. So uh, mostly what we were doing is either stay in people's houses where they'd give us a guest room or some place to crash um, because they heard of what we were doing or were supporters of the, of the Greenway um, or we were renting hotels. Uh, and so there was a lot of variety there. So the, there wasn't really an average day. <laughs> like average, we ended up doing about 40 miles a day. Um, but it, it ranged a lot from about 25 to, to I think almost 55. So it, it, it spread out that out. And the, the typically what we do is wake up around four or 4.30 in the morning um, before dawn and try to set out at first light because it was really hot most of the time and to take advantage of the relatively cooler air. Uh, and then I would basically just run all day <laughs> uh, until early to, uh, or mid to late afternoon um, where we'd hopefully get to where we're going and make Josh sometimes. Um, she was working full time. So a lot of her um, time was spent trying to find a place to take meetings. So she was taking meetings in swamps and cemeteries and all kinds of crazy places. Did you get direct support from the ECG organization or how did you coordinate with those guys? Yeah, I, I reached out to their leadership um, before I started and said, you know, I wanted to do this as as um, something to raise awareness and money for them. And and also, you know, I had done other similar crazy stuff in the past just to prove I'm not literally insane. Uh, and then I worked with their communications uh, staff and met them uh, on our way south. They're based in North Carolina. Uh, and uh, we'd, we'd both uh, worked together to reach out to um, different press and, and things like that um, to try to tell the story as we're progressing. And that, that I think combination of us working together on that really um, worked well. Um, it, it, it was and, can, and is uh, a really important for an organization like that to get community support and awareness and political support. Uh, and so the more that we could tell the story out in the community, the better. So you're kind of figuring out lodging arrangements as you go. What was the most uh, unusual or, or memorable place that you, you guys stayed? Yeah, th there are a lot. Um, one, we stayed in a school bus that was uh, as an Airbnb. Um, just it looked on the outside like a broken down bus in the woods, um, but it was really nice, nice on the inside. Uh, we stayed in a shipping container, uh, uh, some basements for folks, and um, some beautiful, huge houses. Uh, so it, that one of the most interesting aspects of the expedition was just not really knowing where we're gonna uh, stay. Uh, we'd hopefully figure out an idea of where we're going to go, but not, but it was be different every day. And we got to be in, in, um, incorporated into so many different people's lives. And, and uh, you know, if I had to wake up and, and find a bathroom in the middle of the night, it was often difficult because I couldn't remember where I was. Uh, so <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun and, and some of the challenge. What about food? Like what is your daily caloric need for something like this and how did you meet it? Yeah. So it's a lot of restaurants because we can't carry all of our food. And, um, uh, you know, I wasn't always able to even meet up with Josh. So it was, um, typically in the morning, it was wake up and try to get going quickly. So maybe just a quick bite. And then I would usually run between 15 and 20 miles, uh, and then have breakfast. Um, maybe nine o'clock or something like that. And uh, it, it, typically diners. So I, 
I am a, a American diner connoisseur now, um, although I've, uh, I haven't got haven't eaten uh, a diner breakfast in a long time since then. I think I got my fill for the next few years. Um, but a lot of, of you know plates of eggs and ham and is really uh, you try to eat a lot of protein because uh, I'm tearing down so much muscle and, and needing to regrow. Uh, and then just whatever I could find on the road, uh, be, be, got good at gas station food. There were a couple days in the South where the only food we had was gas station food. So that was not fun, uh, but we made it work. Uh, and then whatever we could find at night was typically the big meal, you know, somewhere in the 2000 calorie range. So, okay, so making your way up the entire eastern seaboard of the U.S., what did you notice about, you know, how the landscape would change as, as you moved up the coast? Different uh, conditions from day to day, animals, plants, the yeah, population. Yeah, it was, um, uh, well, Florida, almost all of Florida is, uh, when you're running along the, the east coast, is is pretty much mansions all the way up. Uh, um, and to, to both your right and sometimes your left. Uh, and there's very little un- uh, uh, very little space that it isn't developed outside of a few reserves um, right there along the beach. Uh, and then once you get into the South uh, or, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, it is a little bit more, more rural uh, and uh, hot. <laughs> so they had record heat. So even though it was April and, and early May, when we were in the South, it was still, uh, approaching 100 degrees uh, some days and, and extremely, extremely humid. Um, in, in the south, we saw, I saw a dolphin, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, lots, lots of um, changing from, uh, from palm trees to, to then just, I don't know, hot. It's all mostly what I remember there. One of the interesting things is start to notice the changing, uh, the changing accents as you go north. Um, so, uh, we live in Connecticut. I grew up in Indiana. Uh, and, uh, if we opened our mouths at all in a restaurant in the South, we were immediately asked where we were from. It was assumed that we weren't from around there. Um, and, uh, that started to change as we got through DC and, uh, Philadelphia and New York. And, and, and then it started to get different again, uh, to our ears once we got North of, uh, through New Hampshire and especially they listen to the the Mainers, um, so it, it's a it's a it's a it was a, a lot of fun kind of seeing those those kinds of changes. Um, we, we basically followed the hot weather north, um, <laughs> so it was pretty much hot the the entire way. Um, and it's a it's a lot of a lot of up and with a few exceptions, it's it's relatively urban. So we kind of went from one city center to the other, which I actually really liked uh, quite a bit. Um, and we were, uh, the East Coast Greenway, a lot of it is old canal trails or old rail trails. And the railroads and the canals tend to have the towns we built up around them. So when you convert that to a trail, you're going right through the, the middle of town, which is, it's a lot of fun to see that there's, there's 450 different communities that, that we pass through. So it's, it's quite a bit. And that's a lot different than my 2020 run across the country, which is almost exclusively in the middle of nowhere. 
What do you recall about the Pennsylvania section in Philadelphia? I don't, I'm sure you you were pretty uh, pretty focused on getting to your destination, but did you explore at all around this, the, the circuit trail system, or you just straight on through? Do you remember anything about that part of the journey? I, I forget the the name of the trails we were in, but um, getting into Philly is actually really nice. Um, the the trails are really well done and maintained. Um, we uh, met up um, with some supporters of, of the Greenway uh, and they were having a, a kind of a party on the street and in their backyard. So it was a Saturday afternoon when we came in, we went out and uh, went around to some different places to, to eat and drink. And, and uh, so it was, that was kind of a party day when we went through Philly, but uh, unfortunately I don't know the area well enough to even say much of where we even were. <laughs> What was the funniest thing that happened during the whole trip or, or moments that were very especially difficult or, or scary or unusual? I had one moment that in retrospect is funny at the time, wasn't. Um, and it was in, in, in Maine. And uh, uh, there's a long uh, several hundred mile trail. I can't remember exactly how long um, in Maine that's uh, mostly for ATVs. Uh, and there isn't much uh, there. So once you get you know, into northern Maine, there are very few people that, that live up there. Uh, and uh, I'd started off my run that day and uh, didn't put bug spray on. And that was a, a huge mistake. Uh, 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 the bugs were moderately not great for much of the trip, but the main section just it was just another level for for some period of time, uh, just the, the black flies, the horse flies, the mosquitoes would all converge into swarms of clouds. And, uh, it just, it's just wild. And, um, I'd, after a few hours of it, I kind of started to let, let it get to me, <laughs> uh, where I was just kind of losing my, my stuff. Uh, and, uh, then I had to go to the bathroom, which is, was a problem because uh, there's obviously no place out there. So I had to stop and go in the woods and stopping first off at, at, for any period of time is, is not great when you're getting chased by mosquitoes and black plastics. Um, so I was in a hurry and uh, was trying to go in the woods and, and uh, um, just kind of threw my shorts down. And then I went to lean against the tree or to, to hold the tree, pull against the tree and it was rotten. I didn't realize it and it broke off and landed on top of me. Uh, so I had my shorts down and I'm with my a tree on top of me. The bugs are getting me and, and I, you're ready to cry about at that moment. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, uh, I tried, did my best to clean myself off and called Josh and uh, was kind of a, a feeling sorry for myself and screaming and crying and trying to explain what was going on. And uh, for, for a while, she actually thought the tree had fallen on top of me. Um, and I was trying to explain it. It was like, no, no. I, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, eventually she was able to, to go get some bug spray and meet up with me. And that, that was super helpful. Um, but uh, that, I guess that's my piece of advice. If you ever go to Northern Maine, bring lots of bug spray. And I, uh, I would probably bring like a bug suit even, uh, even if you're running, because that's just, it's just torture. <laughs> I guess it's good that it happened uh, toward the end of the trip and not at the beginning. Yeah, I could laugh at it now, but uh, it was torture at the time. 
The other thing that happens at the end of the trip is you get engaged, right? Was that part of the plan all along? And uh, did Josh see that coming? Um, I don't think she saw it coming. And it wasn't part of the plan all along. I, I'd been just kind of thinking about you know, the, our relationship and, and you get plenty of time to think and this kind of thing. Yeah, you really I, find out if you, how you work as a team on a, yes, on a trip like yes. this. Yes, so yeah. if, you, if, you're, if we were together 24 seven uh, for the most part uh, for days and, and obviously through challenging circumstances. And uh, it, I had known we'd work very well together, but it just, just kind of drove it home that, uh, you know, if we could be working so well together and, such a challenging environment then this is a really good sign and uh i can't remember the exact spot where i made the decision it's i think somewhere in new jersey or perhaps new york um but i it kind of solidified that this is going to be a thing i was going to try to do uh and uh and so yeah i went across the finish line and went down and, and uh popped the question um and then on, uh, had a very hard time getting back up <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So obviously the, you know, the purpose of this trip was to raise awareness uh, for the East Coast Greenway. Uh, what, what did you learn about this corridor, uh, you know, and, and about the, the Greenway in particular? What do you hope people that followed your story took away from it? Yeah, so the Greenway is 3,000 miles, but about 1,000 of it are, are currently protected trails, off-road trails. And the rest is mostly on road. Uh, and some of it's nice uh, country roads to run on, and some of them, you know, also need could need work to help with safety. But that's that's their mission is to is to really develop that. So I hope that people take advantage first off of all the lovely trails that have been built. Um, it takes you know lots and lots of money and lots and lots of time to develop things, especially in an urban corridor. Um, most most cities have nice sections. Um, but they're not all connected yet. Um, so I think hopefully people can use what's there, but then also encourage their local communities, their politicians and, and uh, everybody else to help them finish the job that's going to take, you know, um, a lot more time. So uh, it's, it's going to be a work in progress for years to come. and It's going to take a lot of uh, community and political will to get it done. You mentioned early on that the pandemic was kind of an impetus for you to get on this journey. And we, you know, we in the trails and outdoor recreation world have been watching really closely since the pandemic began with all the new people kind of discovering the outdoors and using trails and parks and public lands and all that. And we have the, you know, we have the the numbers and it's real, but I'm wondering since you had already a lot of experience out there on trails and roads, uh, before this happened, if you saw that reflected on this particular trip, were there a lot more people out there than you normally would have expected? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I was, uh, I've was i been working in the running uh, and endurance sports industry, uh, uh, both as something as a passion, but also as my profession for, for over 20 years. Uh, and I remember when the pandemic started, uh, just looking out my window and seeing people that were clearly running and biking and even walking perhaps for the first time, you could just tell from the clothes that they were wearing uh, the, or, or a variety of other reasons that they're getting out there for the first time. And uh, I know a lot of people that I know in, in this space are working really hard to try to see if we can continue that and, and um, you know, make that one of the silver linings that, that came from, uh, came from the pandemic. Um, when I did my 2021, 
I did it as a as a fundraiser for Food Share, part of Feeding America. And I did that because at that time in 2020, um, you know, besides the the hospitals and, and everything going on there, I think the, the the second most important cause of that moment was food insecurity, as a lot of people were facing food insecurity either more intently or or for the first time. Uh, and so it just made sense there. Um, now here we are in 2022, and it seemed to me that focusing on the East Coast Greenway Alliance and the trails and the outdoors themselves, especially in an urban corridor like this, um, is critically important um, to maintain hopefully that momentum that we got. You know, people I think got out for the first time. I think a lot of people, myself included, um, during the pandemic, um, you know, kind of reprioritized their lives to be more about their close relationships and their health uh, and, and perhaps less about their profession or the next thing that they can go by. Uh, and, and so that, that was my goal with, uh, with this is to kind of uh, not just focus on the Alliance itself, but just go out and uh, get out there and do something that you've never done before. I think it's probably safe to say that most people's experience with trails and greenways is at a local level. It's something you do, you know, near your home or maybe to get to work and back. Um, and some people will make longer trips, but uh, very few probably will make a trip as long as yours, certainly on foot. Um, what, what, with the perspective that you bring, what is special about a long distance trail corridor and a, a network linking up multiple regions? Yeah, I, I've always loved to be able to, whenever I go to a new city, I try to go for a run or at least a long walk because um, being able to connect it all and see how everything fits together at foot speed um, is uh, so much more satisfying than, than seeing it in a car. Um, and uh, I'm fortunate to be able to do this on a very large scale, um, but that was one of the really cool things is to connect Miami to uh to philly and dc to run past the statue of liberty and and be able to think that just a couple days before i run through the mall in, in dc and uh you know uh, even if you travel quite a bit like i do i've been to all those cities but to connect it all on on foot is is you can really kind of wrap your head around how big and how small this country really is so it, it's not infinite uh 3000 miles is a long way but it's it's uh doable <laughs> so are you going to do uh, something like this again and would you do it any differently next time around um we're think we don't have anything specific um but we definitely are are batting some ideas around of, of doing something far again <laughs> really far <laughs> extremely far um, I'm always looking for new ideas. So if any of the listeners have any, send, you know, go to our, go to our website, send them our way. <laughs> I got one for you actually, but it's not nearly as long as what you're used to probably, but in the Western Pennsylvania and sort of Northwestern Maryland is the Great Allegheny Passage, which you may know about Cumberland, Maryland to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then it also connects to Washington DC via the CNO towpath trail. So that, I mean, that in itself is, a, is an awesome route to experience in any form. But um, for the last couple of years, there's been a relay race on the gap portion of that. So it's 150 miles and it's a 24 hour thing and you go with the team. And I mentioned it because I'm putting together a team for Pennsylvania Environmental Council. We're one person short, we could really <laughs> use a ringer. <laughs> So if you're not busy in the middle of October, we, we will hold a spot for you. All right. I will look into it. I wrote 
great Allegheny passage down. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> so Shan, if people want to know more about what you're up to, maybe what you've got planned next, uh, what's the best way to keep tabs on your adventures? Yes. So the easiest is at eastcoastgreenwayexpedition.com. Um, that has not just this expedition, but all our other contact info and background and things like that. So if you go to East Coast Greenway Expedition.com and find it there. Well, Shan, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for everything you've done to raise the profile of the East Coast Greenway. And it's been so much fun to watch and a pleasure talking with you. Well, thanks a lot. Check out eastcoastgreenwayexpedition.com for photos and more from Shan Riggs' 3,000-mile journey from Key West to Maine along the East Coast Greenway. You can learn more about the Greenway via links on the show notes for this episode. Support the work of the East Coast Greenway Alliance and the Circuit Trails Coalition in Philadelphia. You can learn more about Peck's work to help close gaps in the East Coast Greenway by way of this circuit and other projects in southeastern Pennsylvania at peckpa.org, P-E-C-P-A.org. There you'll find more information on our work in trails, recreation, and public lands, as well as energy and climate, watershed health, conservation-focused economic development, and much more at peckpa.org. And that'll bring us to the close of another episode. Thanks for joining us for this installment of Pennsylvania Legacies. Hope you can be here for the next one coming out in just about two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. <laughs>